Greetings, this is podcast number 87 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, we're going to take a look at what George Bush's proposed budget says about right-wing values. We'll also discuss a powerful email message from a listener on the human dimension in the debate over gay marriage. And be sure to stick around for my closing comments, because I'll tell you there about the next Blast the Right Live call-in show, as well as about a contest. Let's get right into it. My sources for this segment are the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, the New York Times, TruthDig.com, and the Progressive Magazine. You know the expression, put your money where your mouth is? Here's where George Bush's mouth is from his speech at the 2004 Republican National Convention. I'm running with a compassionate conservative philosophy that government should help people improve their lives, not try to run their lives. A compassionate conservative philosophy. Government should help people improve their lives. Okay, how we spend our money shows our true priorities. Is George Bush's money where his mouth is? being compassionate by having the government help people improve their lives. A bit, yes. Quote, Mr. Bush's new budget has a few worthwhile nuggets, like a proposed increase in Pell Grants for low-income college students and a jump in the funds for AIDS treatment worldwide. In drafting a budget, Congress can take those items from the President's version and jettison the rest. Close quote. Jettison the rest? Yes, because overall, quote, you can see Bush's screwed priorities when you examine his proposed budget. For Bush, these priorities are making war and feeding the rich. Everything else is on the chopping block, close quote. In fact, making war helps feed the rich, as we'll see in a minute. Bush's budget, in my view, has two main themes. One, the already wealthy engaging in unabashed self-enrichment at the public trough, and two, the cold-hearted increasing of human misery, suffering, pain, and death. In other words, greed and cruelty. We'll start off with greed. Bush proposes a $481 billion Pentagon budget, and then we have to add in the $145 billion he requests separately for Iraq and Afghanistan. That's a total of $626 billion. Remember back in Podcast 58 we discussed the Project for a New American Century, PNAC? That neocon advocacy group, of which Cheney, Rumsfeld, and other administration officials were members, had called for increasing the Pentagon budget to $500 billion. Boy, must they be happy. Bush has gone them even better. We have to put this whopping $626 billion figure in perspective. Our military budget is greater than the combined military budgets of the next 14 biggest spending countries. Our technology is so advanced today that even if we didn't spend a single penny more on any of the countless advanced weapon systems now in development, quote, there is not a nation on earth that would dare challenge U.S. dominance in the air or on the seas for decades to come. Close quote. 
And these advanced weapon systems in development, even if we did need to upgrade our technology, are the wrong type of weapons. They're designed, quote, to fight an enemy of advanced military power that is nowhere to be found, not even among the dreaded axis of evil nations. For example, this budget allocates billions to continue building stealth aircraft designed to evade Soviet defenses. The ex-superpower never managed to create, close quote. Are the Bushians just into wasting money on unneeded weapons? No, what they're into is profit. Quote, the Bush budget makes sense only as a slush fund for the defense industry execs and stockholders, close quote. This is from Dow Jones Market Watch, quote, Wartime spending has helped the big defense contractors post healthy fourth quarter earnings with strong prospects for 2007. The new budget suggests the defense industry hasn't yet peaked, close quote. This war profiteering is something we've been tracking for a long time on Blast the Right. Way back in podcast number 30, we discussed the massive increase in defense industry profits from 2004 to 2005. The grand winner then was Halliburton, up 292%. Halliburton made almost four times the profit on government contracts than it did the year before. And Dow Jones MarketWatch now says a year later, the defense industry hasn't even yet peaked. Talk about blood money. A share of Halliburton that was worth $20.50 on the day the Iraq war started was recently worth, four years later, $64.12 after being adjusted for a split. $20 to $64. More than tripling your money and all you had to do was start an illegal, unnecessary, immoral war in Iraq and kill tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. A small price to pay for self-enrichment. Now, of course, once the ill-gotten money is received, you want to keep as much of it as possible. So after this self-enrichment at the public trough, Bush's budget includes a hearty helping of tax cuts for the rich. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities crunched the numbers. It found that by 2012, those with incomes greater than a million dollars a year will get an average tax cut of $162,000. But Americans right smack in the middle of the income scale will wind up with only an extra $840 a year. $162,000 for Bush's buddies, $840 for middle class Americans. Those making more than a million dollars a year will get a total of $73 billion in tax cuts. $73 billion. As Matthew Rothschild, writing in The Progressive, nicely summed it up, quote, that's redistribution of income from bottom to top, close quote. As billionaire investor, but also social justice-oriented, Warren Buffett lamented after hearing right-wing claims that the Democrats were guilty of class warfare, quote, if class warfare is being waged in America, my class is clearly winning. Close quote. Now when you hear the following clip, you can understand the mirthful laughter as Bush speaks to his fundraising audience. This is an impressive crowd, the haves. 
and they have mores. <laughs> Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. <laughs> and remember, these tax cuts will benefit, among others, the very defense industry-associated taxpayers who we just saw are reaping enormous profits from Bush's bloated Defense Department budget. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll see how George Bush's right-wing agenda will help people improve their lives. From the old razzle-dazzle, you razzle-dazzled them. You gave them an act with lots of flash in it, made them believe you were compassionate. Gave them the old hocus-pocus, you misdirected them with 9-11 and Saddam Hussein. You played them both right to perfection, despite the fact there's no connection. You razzle-dazzled them. Let those blue states complain. If this were a dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> Just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> you gave them the old stay the course. I'm your man. Why, now we know that under Bush's budget, the wealthy will get wealthier. What will happen to those in need? After all, Bush did proclaim... I'm running with a compassionate conservative philosophy that government should help people improve their lives, not try to run their lives. So will the lives of those in need be improved? Sorry, no can do. Spending has to be cut somewhere to accommodate tax cuts for the wealthy and increased Pentagon expenditures. Unfortunately, Bush has to make the needy needier. In other words, Bush would have us as a nation increase human misery, suffering, pain, and death. Let's run down the list. Medicare and Medicaid. Quote, the new budget would slash key entitlement programs and punish many of the country's most vulnerable citizens. Sharp reductions are envisioned for Medicare, with cuts of $66 billion over five years, and Medicaid down approximately $11 billion. Close quote. Two of the most vulnerable groups in our society are kids and the elderly, Junior and his little sister, Grandma and Grandpa. How does George propose to improve their lives? According to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, quote, he's giving states an incentive to push these kids off the CHIP program that gives them insurance, close quote. The number of uninsured children is increasing, so George figures he'll help that process along. But he doesn't stop there. Quote, the Preventive Health Services Block Grant, which helps state and local agencies prevent or reduce health problems such as obesity and lead poisoning, would be eliminated. Bush would also gouge Head Start by $100 million. Other cuts are in funding for elementary and secondary education, including for special ed and drug-free programs. Close quote. And parents of the kids can't count on right-wingers to help improve their lives either. Quote, Bush would also cut child care assistance for 300,000 kids from poor families over the next three years. Close quote. After this assault on the needy children in our nation, 
You won't be surprised about what Bush has in store for seniors. One program provides monthly bags of groceries to 440,000 needy senior citizens. By 2008, that program would be history. Let them go to a soup kitchen, where they might want to be anyway, since their homes may go unheated because Bush wants to cut assistance to low-income people that helps pay their heating bills. The elderly can run out of food and be freezing at the same time. Malnutrition and hypothermia. No need to choose, Grandma and Grandpa. Bush has you covered coming and going. At this point, you may be wondering, how could Bush get away with this? You'll be thinking that even more then when you learn that, quote, Mr. Bush's budget would also take an axe to most other domestic spending, close quote. Veterans, environmental protection, health care research and training, housing assistance for low-income people with disabilities, and money to prevent and prosecute violence against women will all feel the kindly touch of George Bush's compassionate conservatism. I should note that the proposed Democratic budget is a big improvement on Bush's as far as helping people expenditures. Democrats would spend $50 billion more on the CHIP program to provide health insurance for low-income children. They reject Bush's Medicare and Medicaid cuts. They call for $3 billion in additional spending for the care of veterans. But unfortunately, even though Democrats receive only half as much in political contributions from the defense industry as Republicans, Democrats still will probably not appropriately slash Pentagon spending. For too many Democrats, even those lesser amounts of campaign contributions plus defense industry plants and jobs in their districts are too big a lure. And to be honest, both Bush and the Democrats make dishonest assumptions in their budgets that not a single dollar will be spent on Iraq or Afghanistan after 2009 and that no federal revenue will be lost from adjusting the alternative minimum tax which both parties are committed to doing. But here we're focusing on the priorities in the budgets, how the budgets affect flesh and blood human beings. And on that score, Bush and his fellow right-wingers are the ones who roundly deserve condemnation. As one writer succinctly put it, quote, Budget time is supposed to be when we, as a community of citizens, get together to decide what our priorities are. Bush is giving the top 1% huge tax breaks while he's making the impoverished elderly suffer in the cold and he's exposing kids to more lead poisoning. Close quote. Those are the priorities that Bush would have us adopt as a nation. Are you buying it? Ask your friendly local right-wingers if they're buying it. If they're a hardcore right-winger, they will be because they'll agree with Rush Limbaugh that Roosevelt is dead. His policies may live on, but we're in the process of doing something about that as well. But if they're not a hardcore specimen, they may not agree with Rush's call to dismantle the social safety net. If they're not a hardcore specimen, maybe after six years of Bush's budgets, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, they'll get the idea. Bush's budget is a true moral obscenity. A worse moral obscenity, perhaps, is that Bush's budget is not a page one scandal. A liberal media indeed.
as we discussed in podcast 83, the U.S. has the highest poverty rate of any industrialized democracy. That's not something we should be proud of being able to shout, we're number one, we're number one, about. Under Bush, poverty is up. The social safety net needs to be strengthened, not cut. We should be doing more, not less. But Bush's budget goes in the opposite direction, a right-wing direction, towards greed and cruelty, the direction of increased human misery, suffering, pain, and death. We progressives, who pledge to move our world in the direction of increased human health, prosperity, and freedom, we will prevail. You can believe that with all your heart and soul. You've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. No justice, no peace. We're mad as hell, and we ain't going to take it anymore. No justice, no As promised, here's some more listener email. This is a powerful one from Steve in North Carolina. He wrote, Hi, Mr. Clark. I love to listen to your show and do both for you each month at Podcast Alley. You have some of the most intelligent, well-thought-out political insights that I've ever heard. This is an issue that I don't think I've heard you address. That issue is gay marriage. As a gay man living in a relationship for 17 years, I just don't understand why my family can't get the tax, legal, and health benefits of other families. I don't care if my relationship is recognized by a church. However, I do want legal protections. Why are right-wingers so opposed to my rights? How would they be hurt by my loving relationship? As my partner and I grow older, I'm very concerned that we'll hit a point where one of us is hospitalized and the other will not be able to visit or make legal decisions. I fear that we will be forced apart in our old age. I also fear losing our home that we bought together to some greedy relative that contests the wills we've written. Please, Mr. Clark, I would value your insight. Thanks for your time. End of that email. It's true, I don't discuss gay rights issues much, or abortion. One of the reasons is, if someone believes the Bible is the unerring word of God, and that unerring word of God condemns homosexual activity and abortion, well then, what am I going to say to that? It's a religious belief, not a policy preference or analysis. But Steve's letter reminded me of something that can be wielded in defense of gay rights and the right to choose. The human element. Not theory or ideology, but how flesh and blood humans are affected. In other words, what happens, in the case of gay rights here, as a result of certain people insisting upon a biblical condemnation by God of a group of people? I wrote back, Hi Steve, I do appreciate your words of support and your votes as well. Your letter was quite moving. I would love to have serious psychiatric evaluations made of the anti-gay right, 
Something is wrong with them. I don't know if it's repressed homosexuality or their sociopathic enjoyment of making others suffer or what. I plan on interviewing some right-wing Christians and perhaps I'll be able to delve a bit into their psyches and determine, as much as such could be fathomable to us non-right-wingers, what makes them tick. Steve wrote back to me with a policy idea, but at this point I had been thinking about his first letter and was eager to pursue the human dimension. I replied, I'm curious if you've ever considered moving with your partner to a more gay-friendly state, either one where you can marry or where civil unions will give you both the legal rights you need and deserve. Steve answered as follows, We have considered moving. I'm three years away from full retirement with my job. My partner has already retired. Once I can retire, we may leave. It's not fair that we have to move just to get some benefits, though. As I get older, I feel more vulnerable in the U.S. One fear is when one of us passes away, the other will not be able to keep the home that we built and that we've been paying for all these years. It's unfair that we have to pay inheritance taxes on our own home since we're not married. The U.S. is a great country, but it has gone astray. The Constitution promises equal protection for citizens, but I don't feel equal or protected. I especially didn't feel protected when I was chased and called fag by two young thugs while out for a walk one afternoon. And I've just read that Andrew Anthos died from being beaten. Andrew was a gay man who tried to get red, white, and blue lights installed on the Michigan State Capitol. He was also gay. He was proud of this country and loved it. He thought the lights would add beauty and pride in his fellow citizens. And he was beaten to death. End of email. Let me tell you a bit about the incident Steve refers to, which took place last month. Andrew Anthos was gay and biracial. His nickname was Buddy. He was riding a bus, returning to his Detroit apartment, and was apparently singing. Quote, Another passenger annoyed with his singing approached him and asked if he was gay. Anthos left the bus and helped a wheelchair-bound fellow passenger through the snow, only to be followed by the assailant who hit him in the back of the head with a metal pipe and fled. The attack left Anthos paralyzed from the neck down and virtually without speech. Close quote. Anthos, buddy, died in the hospital ten days later. Quote, so many people want to pay their respects, said Anthos's niece, Athena Federis, adding that she considers the gay and lesbian people who've offered their support like family. A sobbing Federis said Thursday at his bedside, This is a hate crime against someone who never had a bad thought against anybody. He sang angelically. He spoke eloquently. He didn't care what anyone said about Detroit. He thought it was a great place to live. Close quote. The gay community has issued a call to arms. Quote, There's going to be a great deal more attention now that this, unfortunately, has become a homicide, said Jeffrey Montgomery of Michigan's Triangle Foundation. We've worked with prosecutors here for many years, and all the buttons that can be pushed are being pushed right now, Montgomery said. Close quote. After hearing the story of Andrew Anthos, Steve's words carry even greater import when he wrote, Quote, I especially didn't feel protected when I was chased and called fag by two young thugs while out for a walk one afternoon. Yes, there is something deeply wrong with our society now. Close quote.
Did you know about this hate crime? Did Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity express their outrage night after night about this atrocity inflicted upon one of their fellow Americans? Has Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly demanded to know why no one has been brought to justice for this hate crime? Of course not. Ann Coulter's recent use of the F-word, the gay slur, is perhaps put in an even more reprehensible light now. Let's not let George Bush off the hook either. When the president supports a constitutional amendment to take rights away from people to constitutionally forbid gay marriage, an atmosphere is created in the country which some will inevitably interpret as open season on gays. Despite all this, Steve was then able to wax philosophical, venturing, I think, more into the economic justice realm, but perhaps applicable to gay rights as well. I love his analogy. Listen to this, quote, Have you ever been to a lake and tossed out bread to geese? When hungry, they'll come right up on the shore wanting to be fed. First one will approach and happily gobble down all the bread that is thrown. When another comes up close, the first goose will stop eating and begin to bite at the other to try to force the other to leave. They'll squawk and run at each other forgetting about their own food. But if you keep throwing bread, soon they'll build enough distance between one another that both geese can eat. With plenty of bread around, more geese will come up, fight and posture, then settle into eating. The key is for the person to keep throwing bread. Eventually the geese will form a large group and finally settle into a peaceful relationship, all happily munching bread. I'm not so sure that humans are as smart as geese. In the U.S. we have vast resources that should provide plenty for all. But some humans never seem to stop fighting for more. They never seem to realize that defending their own turf and keeping other humans away from resources really doesn't enhance their own wealth. They continue to stay busy trying to prevent others from getting to be their equals and in doing so, hurt themselves. The turf Steve refers to could include, perhaps, exclusive approval from society for their own sexual orientation. The resources they try to keep others away from could include sexual freedom and the recognition by society and the rights that come with being able to marry. After reading this great geese analogy, I told Steve I'd like to read it as well. Steve replied, quote, You can read any of this. I was afraid I had lost you with the goose example. I'm a country boy and didn't know if it would translate to city folk. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Close quote. Be assured you haven't lost me at all. Actually, I grew up across the street from a lake, Croons Lake. There were plenty of geese there. I can see it in my mind's eye, them all honking and biting and carrying on like you wouldn't believe. Then everything calms down and all is perfect again. There's peace on earth, at least on that small patch of it. Let me repeat, be assured, Steve, you haven't lost me at all. I, and I'm sure the vast majority of listeners, are with you. We have your back. Stay safe. And thanks for writing in. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on the podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. A special shout-out to all you listeners on KNFS LP in Tulare, California. 
KMWD Kosilov in Anchorage, Alaska, and WUTZ in Summertown, Tennessee, as well as those listening on the website nextgen570.com. Great to have you on board. Consider coming over to the podcast homepage and subscribing. The next Blast the Right live call-in show will be same time, same place, 9 p.m. Pacific Time, Monday, April 2nd. You go to TalkShoe.com, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com, where TalkCast number 21542, 21542. If you just want to listen, you can click on the Listen Live link. If you'd like to call in and participate, or participate in the chat room while the broadcast is on, you need to register a TalkShoe for free, you get a PIN number, and you have to download their software. The software downloads and installs real easily, but it takes a couple of minutes, so do it before the show starts. Last week, we didn't have a heck of a lot of people. I understand the show's on pretty late. I'm going to switch things around so I can do it earlier. But in any case, all of you who want to join in, please do. I especially invite right-wingers to call in. Hope I'll get a chance to speak to a whole bunch of you on Monday night, including some friendly local right-wingers. Here's what the contest is about. I want to come up with a slogan, a motto, for the Blast the Right podcast. I wanted to incorporate the idea that I don't have a radio voice. The one I came up with so far is something like, Not a radio voice, but a voice of reason. Or, not a radio voice, but a voice for truth. A voice for justice. Something like that. So, what I'd like you all to do is send me in your suggestions along those lines or others, and maybe one will come in that I can pick to use as the slogan. Thanks to Kit from Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and to Steve for research assistance. Music credits. The break music was You Razzle Dazzled Em by Bill Jacobs. The bumper music was Peter Finch playing Howard Beale in the classic film Network, combined with No Justice, No Peace by Wacky Avelli. We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. You can also call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. If you prefer, you can leave your comment on Skype. My name there is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now you